Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Dave and Coles podcast. It is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Um, welcome. We appreciate you. And uh, Dave and I are, are old friends who like to discuss different films and um, different types of media. We're each going to give our perspective on those and then uh, have an option to, uh, to pass the baton. So um, this week we'll be talking about uh, 2022's The Menu, um, as well as Avatar, The Way of Water. Uh, Dave will be uh, diving into the menu, and I will be diving into Avatar, and uh, we'll see how the conversation goes. So, hello, Dave. How are you? Hey, good. What, was that an on-purpose pun of diving into The Way of Water? You know, it wasn't, uh, but uh, I appreciate you catching it. I could have I lied and said it was, but uh, yeah. no, no, it wasn't. Full disclosure, so um, dive into we had the menu. discussed... I'm going to dive in. You can dive into both of them. That's, wow. <laughs> Maybe, you know what? Sometimes like, uh, I'm operating on levels that I'm not aware of. Um, but I appreciate you catching that. Um, no. So full disclosure, we, we had talked about doing avatar the way of water. Um, but I hadn't seen it. You hadn't seen it. So I had to rush out, um, last night and watch it. And I didn't get home until about midnight. And Me too. I am, I'm not a night owl. <laughs> See, you probably stayed up another two or three hours. I no, was like, no. I'm two or three hours past my bedtime. Um, so I'm feeling it a little bit today. But uh, uh, I I am, without giving much away, pleasantly surprised by both movies. Um, so I don't know. Would, would you like to start with the menu or would you like me to start with Avatar? I think let's start with the menu. And you can give it all away. We're not giving any. I mean, it's fine. Nobody, you know. Yeah, I'll, no just, I'll just go for it. Um, so the menu, I... <laughs> I actually gave this movie a question mark out of 10. <laughs> if you want me to, I can give it a number, but this movie makes no fucking sense. It's very entertaining. That is a hundred. That is, that movie is pure entertainment. Yep. Um, and I kind of phrase it as like, it's horror comedy and a cooking show. It's like chef's table. They actually hired, the, a guy who worked on Chef's Table to be the second unit director and do all the the food shots, which is why it yeah. feels like a cooking show. Yeah. Um, and I think that part is the only part that's really snarky. The part where the food comes out and they and they have some snarky little subtitle. But the rest of the movie is played absolutely straight, yeah. absolutely straight by everybody involved. Um, it's not like Shaun of the Dead, you know, where there's a lot of audience winking. Sure. Or or Evil Dead is the other one I thought of, which is like, you know, we're doing some Three Stooges in there with our horror. You know what I mean? Yep. But this is everybody is is very serious and it's hilarious. <laughs> and there's some action thrown in too. Um, sure. I thought that that so I'm I'm not totally sure why it works. It well, seems why like why it, don't you go ahead and describe the general plot of the menu for those okay. folks who haven't seen it? All right. So the menu, uh, well. I feel like I'm describing it for the people who have seen it. Either way. <laughs> but the menu is a um, a movie where uh, it's basically a movie. We should par- say full spoilers. Full spoilers. Yeah, full spoilers. For everything that we ever discuss on this show, we yeah. might start the show off with a spoiler for all I know. So full spoilers. It's basically making fun of foodies. Uh, the main character goes to a very pretentious restaurant with some very pretentious uh other people and we find and the main character uh played by anya taylor joy she she kind of is the audience 
where she's like, why is everybody well, acting this way? Yep. And um, if you've ever kind of talked to people who are really into food, they can seem very uh, like they're drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. So this takes yep. that to the extreme. Ray Fiennes plays the chef whose Kool-Aid everyone is drinking. Um, the patrons are drinking the Kool-Aid and the people under him are drinking the Kool-Aid. They're all kind of doing the same, you know, following his lead. And he plans to kill everyone, including himself and his guests and the, and the people who work for him are also doing this um, because they feel it is necessary and it's the right thing to do. Um, and Nicholas Holt, uh, I, I really thought he was great. He's kind of like the true foodie in a way where he loves food so much that he willingly goes to his death <laughs> to, to be a part of the experience. Um, and drags Anya Taylor-Joy to her death, too. Um, at least Potential. he tries to. Potential death, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think that, you know, sometimes you get points for originality. Uh, this is one of those. And, you know, what I've... What I told a friend of mine was that I have never seen a movie like this I don't want to see another one like this. I don't want to see a menu too. <laughs> I feel like they they put it all out there and it was good and and I I walked away I walked away full as <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so let's get into it, the spirit you know, of it. Okay. No, I, I, so I uh, I, I absolutely I I back 90% of what you said. Um it's funny, though, that, that you, you are right. The movie gets a lot of points for its creativity. However, I do think that we're seeing a lot of films like this. And what I mean by that is there's kind of a, an eat-the-rich genre going on right now. Between mm-hmm. this film, between... What did we watch? Oh, uh, Glass Onion, that terrible fucking movie that my brain is kind of scrubbed <laughs> from my memory. Let it go. you gotta let it, um, you got to move on. But there, there was also the, uh, the David Harbour Santa Claus. Uh, I think it's called Violent Night. That yeah, was pretty good. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Also has John Leguizamo in it, by the way. Yeah. Um, but there, there are these movies, and yes, these these folks are are foodies or faux foodies. Um, but I really think the movie's taken a piss on you know the ultra elite culture. I was surprised to find that there are really restaurants like this, like ultra uh, remote, ultra exclusive restaurants that are open yeah. for a very limited amount of time. Um, so this is based on a real phenomenon, not the the, the, the suicide cult part. Well, you know about the um, whole Michelin star thing and everything? Uh, well, I mean, I know what a Michelin star is, but what yeah. are you referring to? Well, just that there's a whole culture of people who are following restaurants, following Michelin stars. Yeah. They want to eat as many as they can. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so one one thing that I did have an issue with at first, though. They'll pay because... any price. The 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 um, Anya Taylor Joy character, her Margot or Margaret or whatever her name is, um, she's she's a little off putting at first, and there is a reveal about midway through the movie, and that reveal is you had touched on it before, but so Nicholas Holt um, is a foodie, um, or at least he pretends to be. He does he does have an education of food. He just doesn't actually know how to prepare it or cook it. So he. He's kind of a, a, a half. He's a consumer, not a producer. He's a consumer, not a producer. Exactly. But so he has this girlfriend or, or this girl that he's in, you know, trying to, to entice to come along. And she initially agrees to do this, but then backs out at the last minute. 
So when we're introduced to uh, his character and Anya Taylor-Joy's, we think that they're a couple. And we think that maybe they're, they're kind of on the rocks because um, they seem to be having kind of a fun rapport, but every once in a while Nicholas Holt says something kind of cutting and mean-spirited, and we're not exactly sure why. And pompous, um, you know. And pompous. And then we find out that Anya is a prostitute. And um, Nicholas is his original uh, partner for this this trip um, backs out at the last minute, so he hires a prostitute who, and he doesn't tell her obviously that he's bringing her to this death death dinner. Um, and so for the first half of the movie, Anya is actually kind of like she's she's off putting to me because my even though this is kind of ridiculous and and everybody there is full of shit. Um, if you're gonna go to the one of these things, I don't think you should be rude. Right, like if you're gonna go sure. for the experience, then experience it. And Anya, um, from our perspective in the first half of the movie, she's she's not willing to participate. She's kind of um, she, she just she's she's not fitting her environment. And we learn the reason for that when when if it turns out that she is a prostitute. Um, well, I think she rep- I think she represents the audience. You know, in the beginning, there's a part where. They get an oyster with like foam on it or something like that. She's like, I kind of like it without the foam. And Nicholas Holt is like, No, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think a lot of us have been there. With, I mean, certainly wine is one where there's people who are pretentious about wine and like, oh, it's got all these notes, and you're just like, you know, I kind of like the Trader Joe's one more. I like the four (laughs) dollar bottle of wine just fine. Thank you. (laughs) And like, and and you know, maybe you don't say anything because you don't want to be rude. So I think that she's kind of filling out that part. But she is rude. That's my point, right? Yeah. Because like, I, I, she, she's definitely the audience surrogate. I just think they yeah. kind of cloud it at first, and then when the reveal happens, it's oh yeah, definitely. But the funny thing is, is that okay? So this this uh, elite group of people who are having dinner this night it includes like, um, you get you get the idea that there's this mogul. He's this old rich white guy, and he's probably old money. And then there's John Leguizamo, who's a failed actor, and then. Um, all of these people of prominence nicholas holt is the one person who isn't but the reason he was selected is because the chef initially saw a spark in him well i um, think that he he had some kind of wealth they established a little bit he i can't remember i think it was just one line but they said oh he's worked for some company or had some he definitely had some money um, he had he, he wasn't he wasn't without but he wasn't you know he's not an elite i don't think and I think what happens is that he's selected among the elite because the chef, there was something about... Uh, well, he was selected him because he was willing to die. <laughs> well, not just that he was willing to die. It was something about his food palate. Like something that Nicholas Holt said or, or responded to. I think there was like a social media message or maybe a video message. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, the chef saw something in him. It turns out that, that there is nothing there outside of his love for food. But though it, you get this this environment with all these people who are full of shit, right? They're all liars and they're all deceivers in one way or another. Um, but Anya Taylor Joy is the one honest person, and that honesty saves her life, and it, it, it's what allows her, um, you know, it's well, what she's allows also, her story to be told. She's also, I think, more of a fighter. You know, everybody yes. else just accepts that yes, they're going to they be barbecued. <laughs> And, and he, they even comment on that. The chef in his, you know, everyone right. of these guys has their big speech at the end. He's like, you guys probably could have and got out of yeah. it, but you didn't even try. <laughs> yeah. well, right. And that's the thing is like, the, 
this is why I also I, I I would probably give this movie like a seven and a half or an eight out of ten. But yeah. I like your question mark out of ten because the message is muddled, right? Like it it does get very muddled in the back third of the movie. I'm not sure what they're trying to say or, or <laughs> I, I just yeah. I don't know. I would I mean, love to hear the director's muddled. commentary. There's the part where they let them run and then they just bring them back. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah. There's the part Playing where they have them. the knife fight. I mean, yeah, uh, you know it's kind of it's just a lot of a lot of different things that that don't really add up to me. But I love how I love that everybody plays it serious. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like it's a parody of foodies, right? Because people who are really into food are so serious about it, and it's yeah. just food. It's just you fucking eat it. So, so I think that that having it go to this extreme where people are willing to die and do all kinds of other things and it just I don't know I, I feel like it, it 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 made it funnier it made it it made it so funny and then the snarky kind of subtitles were the only wink at the audience to kind of let you know it's okay to laugh it's okay to laugh that we cut that guy's finger off yeah <laughs> it's okay to laugh that we're gonna barbecue everyone so um. I, I just I mean, that... looked this up now, but the director, Mark Malord, or whatever yeah. his last name is, um, he's he directed uh, like 13 episodes of Secession. Have you watched that? It's like my no, one of my all-time favorite shows. But again, it's 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 not even a, a parody. It's like it's like a dramatic retelling of any ultra-elite family, right? Old money mm-hmm. family. It's fantastic. Um, so it's interesting that, that he also is doing this. But... You know, Succession is much more straightforward because this is just kind of batshit crazy at the end. <laughs> right. Well, I love that. I was just thinking, I love the ending where um, they burn everything and then they get the subtitle come in yep. to show the ingredients of the s'mores. And it's like, you know, the crew, the patrons, like yep. everything. Yep. Yep. <laughs> everything is. Well, and he literally, sport. you know, they're talking about that, right? Like he's building to a menu, like, and, and the menu won't work without all of these individual And the pieces. menu is also, she has it at the end. She wipes her mouth with it. It's got all the yep. things that we read, all the subtitles are on that piece of paper. Yep. Yep. And yep. she's like, fuck well, this no, shit. And, and that's the thing is that it is a really well made movie. Like, from, from a directing standpoint, uh, all the performances are great. It, it makes yeah. you think. It's a lot of fun. It's super entertaining. But there's no, I mean, maybe if I, you know, rewatch because I've only seen it once now. I just, I don't know the ultimate message. And that's kind of, you know, even though I'm entertained in the back half of the movie, I don't know what it's trying to tell me. Well, I think, so I think what ends up, the reason why it doesn't go further is because the movie is so ludicrous that nobody is really human in this movie, right? Like, like right. It's absurdist. It's very absurd, yeah. So yeah. you don't really sympathize with. I don't sympathize with Ray Fines or None any of, of the patrons or anybody yeah. or even Anya Taylor Joy. Right. Yeah. Even her. She's the closest to a surrogate. But even right. Her. Yeah. And we do. I guess we want her to survive just so that somebody survives. But but because because the characters aren't, they have reasons to do things, but not, nothing is really believable. So it just it's yeah it's absurd. It's just silly. Yeah. It's very silly, yeah. but but good. I like it. Still, still, yep. I still recommend it. I recommend it too. Okay, so our second movie, um, Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, when did the original one come out? In two thousand nine. So we're talking about a thirteen-year sequel here. Um, wow. You know, when it comes to 
Avatar as um, as a franchise and as an IP. I really, after the first one, didn't have any interest in seeing it continue. I wanted, you know, I James Cameron. I think is one of the great modern directors, and my viewpoint was I'm glad it made money. I'm glad, you know, that he was able to achieve these technical goals that he had. But let's have him move on to something else. Um, and so when he spent the next, you know, decade <laughs> plus years. making the movie. Um, I was like, Jesus Christ. And then he starts talking in the promotion um, about, you know, this needs to basically be a top five all-time grocer just to make a profit, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, long story short. Well, I think he um, succeeded, right? I think it he's is absolutely, well, he's, he's, it's a success. It, it might not be top five, but it's going to be top eight for sure, I think. Um, and not, not just... Uh, did he succeed financially but i i have to tell you i was really impressed with the movie overall it's not it, it doesn't have any of the originality of the menu right it's a standard kind of sequel but the things that james cameron does well he does better than basically anybody and yeah. those things are world building right every single yeah. every single equip piece of equipment every single uh animal every single ar- piece of architecture it's all really well thought, and it makes yeah. sense for the environment that it's in. So James Cameron is one of the best world builders that we have. Well, he's um, a fantastic artist. I bought his book, yes. Techno he's a, Art. He's a genius. He's literally a genius. I mean, he can do anything. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 he is a great illustrator and painter. Yeah. And I think him and Ridley Scott uh, yeah. are you know, some of the best fine artists that are directors, you know, like Steven yep. Spielberg does his own storyboards, but they look like shit. And right. then he has like a real artist, you know, yep. <laughs> back through, yep. but, but, but Cameron and Ridley Scott, they do their own storyboards and look amazing. I mean, they look like comic books. Um, and, and it shows, it shows it in, does. In, specifically for Cameron, right? Because like when I didn't really realize how much he had advanced the technology, even from the first one to this one, this is, you know, so I, I, I don't really like the Marvel movies um, anymore. I was a big fan of the first couple phases just because I grew up with these characters and, you know, it was novel. But it is kind of a rinse, repeat, and you end up feeling like you're just watching a bunch of CG. It's impressive, but it's just, it's a comic book come to life, which, hey, fair enough. With Avatar, after about 10 minutes, I forgot that I was looking at CG characters. I thought I was just watching, you know, actors perform. It is so next level, um, and and I don't obviously you would be better you know able to speak to you know the graphic side of it, but but from a layman I was I I just this is the best. I mean nobody can compete with what these guys are doing right now, and I realize that 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 it's mostly Weta who's constantly pushing the boundaries, um, and, but but Cameron himself. Um, the other thing too is that it's not just effects, right? Because like. You, you mentioned Spielberg earlier. Okay, so uh, what is it? Ready Player One is the messiest piece of shit movie I've ever seen outside of Glass Onion. But it's messy and, <laughs> and a piece of shit for a different reason. It's just muddled. It's, there's too much going on. There's no focus. There's well, no geography. Well, it was geography. a shitty book, too. Well, well even, even so, I'm talking about the way that, that Spielberg chose to portray the book was not well done. Um, but when you come to something like Avatar, it's like there are still big battles, but everything feels much more um, contained from a geo- from a geographic point. Well, it feels grounded too. Point. It feels grounded, right? Like I know what's going on. I know where the pieces are on the on the board. I know what the conflicts are. I know what the goals are. 
I mean, what Cameron does well, he does better than anybody. And um, I feel like I'm constantly doubting him. And I feel like the industry is constantly doubting him, right? Um, in in the lead up to Titanic, they were they were sure it was going to sink his career and be doomed to failure. Because <laughs> uh, too much money. And then with right with the uh, oh now he's doing these uh, you know documentaries, Ghosts of the Abyss or whatever. He's wasting his time, and they become some of the biggest documentaries of all time. And then he spends a decade doing Avatar and another thirteen years doing Avatar two. Anyway, the point is. Um, even someone like me who's not really interested in it got sucked back in because Cameron knows how to make movie magic. So there are a couple things I'll just say about CG that can look good or bad. One of them is the lighting and the rendering. And the other one is the physics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you see movies like the Marvel movies, I think Hobbit is the one that people really point at where the physics just aren't there. Right. It feels like everybody is made of rubber um, you know, even if you light it and render it really, really well, uh, and it looks photo real, if the characters are bouncing around like rubber or serendipitously kind of, you know, going through the action sequence where how, how they survive somehow, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't read as, as true. And then once that happens, the stakes are gone. You don't really care about the characters because they can't die. I mean, yep. certainly they can't die in Avatar either. There's a lot well, of times... Well, there, I mean, somebody does die, but it feels very plot-oriented when that person dies. It's kind of... Sure, but I, I genuinely questioned... Um, and again, me, full spoilers, me, right? So this... Oh, go ahead. We're going to all do spoilers. But one, one more thing I just want to say is there, there's when they're fighting like when the train derails or the ships uh the airships go down or the or at the end the sea ship rolls over like those things feel very real because even though they're giant cg because there is a certain weight and physics to everything that right. james cameron does know he knows kind of mechanical engineering he knows the he knows the physics of the titanic right because he did it so yep. he knows how a ship is going to sink and 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 those those elements do add up to to get, give you to keep you invested, you know. Well, um, even he's invested because he won't accept anything but the best, which is why it takes him thirteen years to make a fucking Avatar sequel, right? Because he is he will not accept anything but perfect. Well, as close to perfect as you. Can. Yeah. So let's talk about what's not perfect. As I, I'll I'll just say a bunch of stuff um about it. Uh, I think that. The plot is weak, right? <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of things in the plot that are weak. I mean, I like again, you know, I like the crab ships and all these things, but um, maybe he shouldn't be writing as much. Maybe somebody else should do it uh, because the first half of the movie it feels like we're kind of waiting for something to happen. Like we got to learn how to ride the sea dragons again because you know we learned it, I guess, in the first one how to ride the air dragons. The people are talking to the whales. I don't know why they're talking to the whales. Why don't they just plug in their their Ethernet cord into the whales? You know, on their braid? I don't know. I don't know why the whalers are, like, trying to catch the kids. Like, shouldn't the military be catching the kids? I'm not sure. They tried to set up that the the Jake Sully was, like, uh, leading a band of terrorists almost when they derailed the train. And that's when the military was brought in. 
but then that kind of goes away, and it just seems like they're the the guy they brought in is a vendetta against Jake Sully. Why did they bring that guy back? Was that really necessary? Aren't there just more Marines? Um, all that stuff just feels very like contrived. Um, along with that, you know, they kill a lot of people. Uh, I guess Navi died, but then at the end, it seems like only the son died because they have a funeral for him where everybody's standing there. And I don't see any other caskets. It just seems like he's the only one that died. Um, it just feels a, l- a lot of this stuff feels very one-sided. And I don't know. It's a weird thing for me. But as I was watching this and they were just having their victorious killing of all these people, I kind of had a moment where I was like, well, I know they're evil, but they are they are humans. And not all of those people were probably evil. Some of them were probably nine to fivers. You know, on the ship. Most of them. Most of them were right? probably 9 to 5 But and, you know what? Uh, I mean, most and of the, then the Navi. Know, if, the Navi are extremes, like, are they? You can look at history there too. You know what I mean? From my perspective, the Navi are like the aliens, right? So they're almost like the xenomorphs in a way. They're just wiping everybody out. And I had to well, be like. except that we know that they're crashing their habitat. We know that the Navi would be peaceful if if they were willing to be peaceful. Right. I mean, that's what that's the conceit, right? Because you know, here's the thing, right? Is like these the the Navi are are clearly uh, a stand-in for Native Americans, and and yes, I know that with the water people, like they bring in the Maoris and and um, you know the the uh, what am I looking for? What what culture am I looking for? Polynesians. Anyway, uh, Polynesians. Thank you. Um, but like so. As the first one was was uh, kind of dragged a little bit for kind of being like um, Fern Gully meets Dances with Wolves, you know, um, and they 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 didn't have much of a plot. They didn't have much character work. This one, I think, still has a plot issue, but I think the character work is is much better here. Like the you know the th- the problems that you had with the first forty minutes where it's kind of reintroducing us. I think it's it is purposeful. It's a little slow, but I think it's purposeful because this is a generational movie, and this is kind of what I was going to touch on earlier. Is like I wasn't sure that they weren't going to kill off the parents because to me, what I was seeing was a baton movie. I was seeing a passing the baton from the older actors because one, we know that Sam Worthington is not the best actor ever, right? So like <laughs> this gives us an opportunity to get the movie out of his hands. His narration is by far the worst part of this movie. Um, yeah. Zoe Saldana. <laughs> Probably because she's been doing this since 2005, right? She's been doing this since 2005, being in Avatar movies. um, And she's a huge star now. She probably doesn't want to continue to do Avatar forever. So I actually thought they were going to kill off at least one of the parents, if not both. They should (laughs) have. But but I do think they did a really good job with character work. I think because the the young kids, I cared about the, the worst character building was the older brother who they end up killing off so i can see why they didn't give him as much of an arc but as far as the sigourney weaver uh, reincarnation um the youngest child the the girl um i had you know, trouble I, I with that they did too a really good job. the sigourney what, weaver what, the reincarnation sigourney weaver thing? there's definitely she's kind of like trying thing. to act like she's young but she is an old woman with an old sure. woman voice sure and maybe that fits because it's like she's i'm pretty sure she's the the daughter of the tree, right? Like the tree is the father, and then, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. that's why she's connected. Yeah. yeah, she's like she whatever they call Gaia. I forget what they call Gaia, right. But... Yeah, but they tuck Sigourney Weaver in under the tree at the end of the yeah. first one. 
but it's contrivances, right? Like, I like Stephen Lang, and he was a clear uh, high point in the first one, so they had to bring him back. You know, people like Sigourney Weaver. James Cameron likes working with Sigourney Weaver, so he has to bring her back, right? We it, right. And I, I do think that his his writing is his weak point, um, kind of I like think... you were saying with, uh, with Ryan Johnson. Yeah, I actually like Ryan Johnson as a director. I just think he's a bad writer. I would mostly agree with that. Yeah. Anyway. Writing's hard. It's not for everybody. You don't no, have to so be, you know, a, you know, a lot of singers don't write their own songs. Most singers. That's right. So right. if you're a good director, and, and, you don't and, have to write it. Right. <laughs> and, and most of them don't produce their own songs, right? So, like, the, the radio hit that you hear is really not much of, I mean, they're, they're lending their vocals, Right. right, but it's the producer and it's the writer who are really crafting that song. Right. So I think James Cameron, you know, he's a great crafter of song, but well, not a great. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's, not here's a great writer I, of song. Here's why <laughs> Bad I writer. Cameron to do- totally pull back from that is because he is such a good world builder. But he should be like the grandfather architect, right? Not the guy on the ground writing everything. He should be like, these are the basic plot points that I want to hit, or the basic type of story i want to tell now now bring it to me that's why i'm i'm all in on jordan peele he's the last great hope let's hope he doesn't get corrupted i feel yeah. like success corrupts people that's I why I, you know, I, I once upon a time is in the background there uh i feel like tarantino's gone downhill he hit his peak this is my this is my favorite tarantino movie yeah uh, and uh, you know no. it is what it is <laughs> I, I i i this is my favorite tarantino movie um, yeah. But okay, let's let's not labor too long. So the next the uh, next part of the show is um, we're gonna do kind of a two part if, if you have it. Otherwise, so we're gonna look forward at something. No, I think that, we do one. Sleep. Let's do one. We'll do one this time, and then maybe we'll okay. do. Yeah, I like that okay. more. Will you do your little bonus? Piece. This is the bonus. We're at like a half this hour, so this is like the bonus, the okay. cherry that you've waited for. Well, okay, so the bonus is either a hidden gem or a um, sneak peek. So either something that came out previously that was underseen or underreported or undervalued or something that, that is coming up that is looking exciting or promising. Or maybe something that's coming up that looks like a train wreck, you know, whatever the, that sneak peek may yeah. be. Yeah. So, so what, is your... Your, what is yours of, of the evening? No, you have you you had one prepared for today, so I was going to go okay. with that. Oh, we're only going to do one? Yeah, we're just going to do one. Okay. You, you don't have anything that you want to promote? No, no, no. I just want to do okay. one. Okay. Well, then what I'm going to say is uh, this is a 2017 short film from David Lynch that I just stumbled upon on Netflix. And it's called What Did Jack Do? Um, and it's, you know, if, if you're familiar with David Lynch at all, you know exactly what you're getting. It's incredibly um, bizarre and it's surreal. Um, it's very artistic, but essentially what the plot is, um, there is this monkey, and he's held up uh, in this train station that's been um, shut down, um, locked down by the cops. And David Lynch walks in to where this monkey is, and he's isolated, and uh, apparently there was this this uh, chicken that had been murdered or um, something. You, you remember this? I didn't um, see it, but I remember this coming out and. See, it's it's funny because I I love David Lynch and I had no idea. I had no I I saw it. I'm like, what is this? And then I realized. See, I thought it must have just come out, right? It snuck in, but it's from six years ago. 
Um, but if, if you are a fan of David Lynch, it's it's really well done. It's it's a noir detective interview kind of one shot. Um, it's 14 minutes long, and basically David Lynch goes in and he has to get this monkey to confess to this murder. Um, but it's David Lynch is both the detective and the voice of the monkey. Um, and it's played so straight. It's played really straight. And, and so this monkey at first seems like he's kind of like this hillbilly hick monkey, but, um, he's, he's speaking, uh, to larger themes and issues, you know, in a David Lynchian kind of way. Um, Mm -hmm. if you have 14 minutes and you're a fan of David Lynch, I, I highly recommend it, but super bizarre and not for everybody. All right. Well, I'll check it out along with the people who listen to this podcast. Okay. I think, well, I think that's a good all wrap. four of us will watch yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll get a huge bump in Netflix or wherever yeah. it's streaming. YouTube. All right, buddy. Well, all right. have a good conversation, and uh, we'll meet up again soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks.